0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. I'm excited. The guest, the guest will be here. I will have the audio of the guest. It is on today's episode. I am excited because it was a very spirited conversation. I thought it flowed well from my perspective, at least. I got got a lot of good information I learned. And the goal, of course, is to learn for you to learn, but also for me to learn. And I learned a lot about not only what he was doing, but insight. He has very singular, valuable insight, which is why I was excited to have him on the show. And hopefully, I can get him back on the show on a future episode to dig deeper into the business he's doing now. So, that will come in the second part, or I guess two thirds part of today's episode. First, I'm gonna go ahead and cover some news. All I'll do is the news, and then we'll get right into uh, my guest for today. There's only a couple of pieces I felt were worth coverage. There's a lot going around, but most of it's just whatever from my opinion. So, I'm gonna only cover the two that I think or the best uh worth, you know, your time. Number 1 on the list, NFTs. I've never spoken about NFTs myself, and the reason I haven't is because I watch NFT and its growth and its development and what it's doing, and I'm waiting to see more around it. I also want to understand better. Obviously, it's all about perception. Somebody has a perception of value. Snoop Dogg has come out and said he finds it addictive, that concerns me, but it's it's him. And we know that Different celebrities are into NFTs. We saw the Dolce & Gabbana stuff with NFTs. We know real estate's getting the NFTs, and it's going kind of crazy. Well, apparently, there were some lawsuits that started to show up around NFTs. And the question really goes around something that's been a concern to me. I was on Reddit some time ago, and I was talking to people, and I was telling them that I think NFTs are a scam because I frankly do. In all disclosure, I own NFTs, but I've never paid a dollar for any of them. They've been given to me free uh, as membership perks. And so I have them, and it is what it is. I've minted an NFT. I still have my NFT minted out there. And you know, anybody that had any questions about you know my stance on NFTs or my minted NFTs or anything else, or somebody that hears me say that it's a scam and has a problem with it, it's free to go to CryptoTalkRadio.net, that's our site, And at the top, we have a form. You can fill it out and you can submit feedback directly to me and we can chat it out. I want to smoke as long as you're respectful. I love that. I would encourage those people, though, to go back and listen to our older episodes on CryptoTalkRadio.net. You can hear all of the older episodes that we've done where I have talked intermittently about NFTs and my feelings about NFTs and why I feel that they're not a fad. They're not going anywhere. But I do think that it's at some point going to kind of lose its luster. So. Fast forward, and now these lawsuits start coming up, and it's around something that's been a concern for me, which is copyright law. For you to understand this, let me explain at a high level the concept, the high level concept around NFTs. NFT, non fungible, right? It, it talks about the idea that it's something that is unique. So when you mint it, it's supposed to be unique. There's only supposed to be one, it's supposed to have the same concept of scarcity. That you can attribute to rare metals, that you can attribute to Bitcoin. And the reason that this came to that I think this is tangible news is that it ties to some of the conversation I had with my guest today the idea of uniqueness, rare, scarcity, and something that ultimately you can't really duplicate. Well, turns out the lawsuits are around copyright around things. So when you own an NFT, the assumption has always been that as far as people that trade it, that you're buying an ownership interest in a thing. You are buying an ownership interest in a thing, not necessarily the underlying thing. Let me explain what I mean. Right now you can create an NFT that is you taking a photo of a car, right? And you own the NFT and you can then sell the NFT and you can sell it to whoever you want. However, you're not selling the photo that you took. That's still yours, right? You're not selling the car, if you were selling the car, then you're transferring rights, but you don't sell the car. The car doesn't care about the NFT. They're still mutually exclusive. So apparently there were some NFTs around Nike sneakers. I talked about the fact that I think there's, there's just too much that's going around with NFTs. We're basically NFTing anything, right? Well, NFT like artwork I'm cool with, but we're seeing Dolce and Gabbana clothes. And we're seeing, you know, some scantily clad girl holding out signs. Like we're going all kinds of crazy now. The brilliance of her—that's the Irene Zhao. We'll go back to that episode on CryptotalkRadio.net. The brilliance of her is that that's unique to her. She didn't. She's not doing anything that's that's public domain or that's Creative Commons or anything that's not something she owns. She's basically peddling herself. Cool. She owns those, and simps are buying it. The so-called simp sons here, allegedly, this person created a bunch of NFTs around Nike brand sneakers and he had a bunch of them and he sold a bunch of them at high prices and he tied somehow he tied pegged the pricing in some way because you know like Nike sneakers are usually overpriced Reeboks is overpriced and so he somehow pegged it to those and he made a whole bunch of money on this the lawsuit is around whether or not he has the entitlement of copyright on the imagery for Nike sneakers because of course the Nike swath is copywritten, right? You, you, It's trademark. You can't, you don't own it. The weird thing is that this only came up because this guy made a bunch of profit off of it. If he had given away a bunch of photos of sh- his shoe collection, nobody would care. Like we used to have, you know, MTV cribs where they walk around and show all their shoes and nobody said anything because nobody made any money off that except for Robin Leach. So, this one, I think it just because he made a bunch of money. That's where it came up. That's where all of a sudden there's a lawsuit. And then, of course, DMCA starts to come into play. So it, my guest and I, we were talking about the, you know, the idea of unique, rare, virtual assets and how MP3s, when they first became a thing, there was kind of the, the chatter about, you know, there's, this is the true MP3. Well, of course, we can copy MP3s. So then you get into like DRM, which we didn't talk about, but DRM was supposed to help solve that problem. But DRM doesn't stop you from copying a thing. It just simply stops you from using it if you don't have rights to it. So we've never been able to solve that problem. And now NFTs are coming in the limelight. Well, the reason this is kind of interesting is that, of course, you know, other artists are starting to get into putting their music as NFTs and people are getting photos, simps are buying girls. And and so at some point, we're going to have to solve the question What really is copyright all over again? We're going to have to revisit that because now NFTs has thrown a wrench into what we thought we had clearly defined. We thought we had a clear definition of said, And even then, like if I were to post something on YouTube, you know, I have to deal with whether or not YouTube comes back with a copyright claim because of something I used in the video. And that's why I don't do full video. I do straight audio with a static image because there is no, there's a lower risk. However, I could have some background music or something else. And then there their engine comes back and says, Oh, that's copyright. Even though it's a background, something I did a review years ago on a different business of a speaker and I was playing a song through the speaker so that I could show people, how does this sound? And it got a copyrighted claim. And then of course I, you know, I removed everything on that account because I moved away from the business. But this again goes to, well, I can't play music. And then if you read the rules, it basically says you got to get rights from like two different things and, then you got to make sure you're not doing a broadcast if you're doing a broadcast you got to do it like this you need this license over here to do this it's a it's a nightmare and if we were to what i think they want to do is to try to copy paste that that legal nonsense over to nfts basically the nft market's going to kill it's going to kill itself it's going to die and I, I don't i wouldn't say i would miss it but i think it's disturbing that this only came up when this guy made money off of what are essentially images of a thing only because he made money. That's the only reason this became a thing that, that I think was kind of problematic, but it is what it is. So the second point of news, Julian Assange, which I've, you know, to me, I, if I had a choice, if, it, if I had the power, I would get rid of Vitalik Buterin. Cause I think he's an idiot, personal opinion. And I would free Julian Assange, not because I have any personal interest in it, but I think that the whole case around him was, was almost cussed. Bunk. I don't think it was fair the way he got treated. And given what he did, which he did do, you know, Bradley Manning Bradley Manning was involved, and Bradley Manning got off scot-free essentially. So why is it Julian Sange being persecuted? There are reasons I can speculate as to what happened with Bradley Manning. I'm not gonna go there. The point is I don't I like equal treatment because it's supposed to be equal treatment under the law. I don't think a sage has gotten equal treatment, in my personal opinion. So apparently there was a DAO that was created, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, and it's collecting funds. And what it's doing is to try to use this to help Julian Assange and help free Julian Assange because he's been out there for years. So this DAO is basically has, there's all these other DAOs that are involved in this. It's a am concerned because I see Assange DAO and the Juicebox DAO and the Constitution DAO and all these DAOs are, and it feels like almost not a Ponzi scheme, but almost like a, robbing peter to pay paul type situation i know what it is it's basically they're just working together to collect up money but i I do think that it's concerning to see that many DAOs in the mix as opposed to a singular effort with one people came out and they said that well we think a sage dows is a scam we think that you know they're not responding they're not they're not really receptive to feedback anybody who disagrees they're gonna have some issues Juicebox is, we think it's revitable, but they're aligned with the same. It's going to bring them down. And so there's all this feedback that this might be a scam. I have not looked deep into it. I am saying that I'm concerned to see that many DAOs all trying to work together to do this instead of one specific singular effort. Like to me, and there were some issues with GoFundMe and other stuff recently that might have said, okay, let's do our own thing. I got it. But we have seen situations like with the, the one guy who was in a wheelchair and he was collecting up funds for something and turned out he was a scammer. Like there's a lot of scams because what you're doing is you're tugging on people's emotions and you're causing risk because it sounds good. We want to free this guy. we want to help him out. But then it might turn out that it, that's a pull of some kind. So I don't I don't I'm not saying do or don't support it. Uh, feel free to look into it. I'm saying from my opinion, I'm looking at it. I don't, I don't support it myself and I would never give money to that organization specifically. If I were going to, you know, try to help with Julia Sage, I would try to do some sort of a lobby, right? Or some sort of other way that doesn't have significant financial risk. That's just how I feel about that. You can feel free to feel how you want. I encourage you to, I encourage you to vote with your own wallet and make your own decisions for your own reasons. Now, without further ado, I want to go ahead and get to our guest because I'm very excited. The guest's name is Mr. Joshua Sagala. and he rose to fame from my eyes. He rose to fame in a very notorious video that's out on the YouTubes, and in this video, he's responding to basically feedback with people online at a time when YouTube, you got to separate your mind. YouTube was a totally different platform at this time. It was very close to like a social media platform. And there was a more of a two way, I guess, to it at that time. But in this, he was having a conversation with people and it, you know, he's, he's advocating this, this cryptocurrency, there's something here and you got to just have faith and believe. And he had a couple of situations where he was just reaching out to people, telling them no, this, this Bitcoin or something here, it's not a scam. I call him the modern day Neo because it was like he unplugged from the matrix and saw that there was something here. The video date is in 2011, June of 2011. Anybody who was, who's watching dates knows this is right before Bitcoin really took off and it was, there was something there, but nobody really realized what it was. And many people just kind of went on about their daily lives, just like in the beginning of the matrix movie. Yes. So if you want to find the video on YouTube, the title of it's called Bitcoin is not a scam, it's the future. And mind you, he's young at this time, so it's different than where he is now, but he was making an impassioned plea pretty much to this in response to this person. So he's not speaking really to the world, he's speaking to this forum, this group, and this person telling them that there's more to this. He's then gone through journeys and he started up businesses. He's an award-winning entrepreneur. He's co-founded several technology startups, including Voltoro, SwapStyle, and many more. He's one of the first advocates of distributed ledger technology. So he was one of the first to build a swap as we consider them today. And he's become a leader in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space. He has experience with managing large technological teams. He's been a pioneer in the sharing industry since 2001. He's been in it since day one, but he realized the potential of it long before everybody else could. As a result, when I got the outreach from the person that coordinates for him, I was really excited to talk to him because when I saw that video and I saw what he's done since, I knew that this is a person that that kind of gets it from the different angle than all the rest of us. We take crypto for granted today. We treat it kind of like stocks. We don't treat it in the original vision of Satoshi. And as a result, it means that we're basically kind of, I've talked about it where there's a desire to kind of get everything to trade like the stock market and Bitcoin's disruption recently has told us that that's an active desire for somebody to get us to that world. Well, I wanted to talk to Mr. Sagala because I wanted to get his insight, not just from what he went through back then and kind of the thought process and the sentiment, but then his journey and what he's doing right now the company he's actively working on is called the standard. The site is the standard.io. Please check that out. He does talk about that one. I am hopeful to get him back on the show to dig a little bit deeper into that one because he has a very compelling case about stable coins, a very compelling case about pegging to rare metals, and a very compelling case about scarcity to try to at some point create similar mechanics to what we have, but done better to where we can trust them more than we do. Ladies and gentlemen. I would like to introduce you to Mr. Joshua Sagala. Awesome. So again, uh, thank you for coming on the show. I know we've kind of gone back and forth with Oscar Hamilton getting this coordinated and you're a busy person. That's why I want to be mindful and respectful of your time here as well. But I appreciate that. You know, I consider you from my, this is my term, as far as I can tell, nobody else called you this, but I consider you clairvoyance of cryptocurrency because you were at the front of it you were, you were like the modern-day Neo. You were aware of things, not feeling right, not being right. And I, I want to talk about that, but I also then want to go through the journey. Where, where you are now and the path from the cryptocurrency and the, the absolute, because I saw the video, the impassioned plea around Bitcoin. And it's timely that we're speaking now with what's going on with Bitcoin. I want to dig into that as well. Because yeah. I think with what you're doing now, it can help everybody listening to say, it's okay. It'll pass. We will get past it. It's a journey. It takes time. Does that make sense? Because.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think a lot of, and just so you have it, a lot of the listeners to the show are ones that they're either new to cryptocurrency or they're not really comfortable with cryptocurrency. Some of them are more advanced, but generally speaking, there's a sentiment of nervousness with the government and everything else. And so I try to, give information that allays concerns, does a little bit of analysis, tries to tell people it's all right, like this situation with the Bitcoin and everything crashing. And I said, it'll pass. It's it's <laughs> it's transitional. Yeah. It'll pass. So yeah. first, you know, the video, let's start there because the video is what now in hindsight, we look and we say, well, this guy, he woke up. He, he unplugged from the matrix. You You talked about in the video where you said, You know, this doesn't feel right. And we should be using cryptocurrency more than we are. There's got to be a better way than the way that we're doing it. Talk me through the first statement you said basically was, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. What was was going on? Clearly, that's a forum. Clearly, there was somebody you interacted with. Do you recall that? What was going on? And what was the response?
1: It, it was back when YouTube still had like video replies. You could sort of attach a video reply, something like that. It was a long. it was I do back in 2011. that. 2011, yeah. yeah, and um, and it was a guy calling crypto a scam, a tulip bubble. Um, that it's it's and it was all the stuff that was constantly being trumped out back then. It was like uh, you know that that uh, yeah, it's it's a babe, beanie babies and tulip bubble and that it's it's all a load of rubbish and uh, it doesn't get its value from anywhere where's its value so i i mm. you know if i step back a little bit i i i built the world's first swapping site where where people would swap things rather than buying and selling because i i really love the idea of an alternative economy and it was especially after 9 11 uh, when i started to follow the money a lot more and fell down mm. of course some of the conspiracy mm. rabbit holes of of what is money and fiat and the central banks and <laughs> all this sort of you know, juicy stuff. And that, that's when I, I really fell in love with gold and silver because they were rare assets. They were mm-hmm. rare physical assets. And this idea of rare assets as money was, was so uh, eye-opening because it's something that had disappeared. That conversation had disappeared from the dinner table uh, in the 1950s, 60s, when 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 we went off the gold standard, and 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 g- globally, it sort of it, it stopped being part of any sort of education. Even here in Germany, they hardly touch on the Weimar Republic, where they had the massive after World War One. They had the huge uh, inflation, hyperinflation, um, and and so so having this conversation. Um, in in my mind of thinking rare assets and then I tried to find this was back in 2001 2002 um, I tried to find a way where we could put money into this swap site that I'd built because but I didn't want money I wanted some sort of digital credit Mm. because it, it was uh, it, swapping is a terrible way of doing anything. I, I love that shirt of yours, man. It's just beautiful. <laughs> but, and then you look through all my stuff and you go, yeah, I don't really like anything that you have. Right. And you're like, hey, but there's a whole f- marketplace around us. What if I could give you something that would work in the entire marketplace? And then we've gone full circle and gone back to square, having some sort of money that is the middle uh so that we can use in the entire marketplace it, it makes it makes trade so much more easy you know so much more fluent and so i started looking around how can we build a, a, some sort of money because i didn't want to become a central bank where i'm issuing credits to people right. because that would just cause me to uh, some it could cause me to become corrupt i'm only human I, I wouldn't want that sort of responsibility plus there might be legal complications and uh, I came across what the cypherpunks were trying to do uh, with, with uh, e-gold and with some of these other technologies. And they were trying to solve this double spend problem. Mm. And um, the double spend problem, for those of your listeners that don't know, is the basic problem of having a rare digital asset. You know, if I send you an MP3 and say, I promise I send you the original, I don't have it anymore. It's like, oh, okay, I have to right. trust you that you didn't make a copy and and they just couldn't solve this problem they knew there was something there with cryptography that you could do it they were trying to solve it but they just couldn't and i i thought it was an unsolvable problem so i sort of never i I kind of got on with other things and um and then uh yeah in 2010 late 2010 i found toshi's white paper uh from that whole forum and and you know the circles that i'd been keeping in and I, I just I, my my mind blew. I thought, especially from the name, the name Bitcoin, because BitTorrent had taken away the centralization of Napster. It was kind of this this amazing aha moment, like, wow, they've they've done it. she's, you know, she, he, it, they have have solved this problem of the double spend problem. We have now rare digital assets. Mm. And this scarcity that there will only ever be 21 million of these rare numbers. And, and that, that idea of rare numbers was, is very hard for people to grasp. Mm-hmm. But rare metals isn't. You know, you could say to someone, look, there's only this much rare metal and it's gold and it's beautiful. And it's malleable. It doesn't rust. It's, it's conductive. It's, it's got all these properties. Why? It's been good money globally um, for, for, for thousands of years. But now we have a rare digital asset that is good in other ways. You know, it can be instantly send globally. It's light. It's very easy to, to confirm um, that it's a true coin. You know, gold's kind of hard. You need a lot of specialized equipment to make sure it's pure. And so there was all these things that, that sort of clicked home and, and when when I saw these people on on YouTube calling it a scam and a tulip bubble and it doesn't get its value, I, I just had to like vent and let them know what's going on. And now that we have rare assets, and even in that video, I said, look, Facebook will come out with Facebook coins. And 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 uh, alas, it, it kind of almost happened. And, they, and it will still happen. Like they've, they've not, you know, they've said they've given up for now, but I don't see them. I think everyone will have their own coin in, in later on. So...
0: It feels, this is my opinion only, it feels as though where we are today though is still not consistent with the vision that you were talking about because we at one point created an equivalency back to fiat. We've, we've essentially yeah. pegged it back to fiat. We trade it as if it's a stock essentially and yeah. fiat stays in the, in the way and as a result, it's affected by inflation and all the other negative impacts that fiat has. Do you agree with that assessment or disagree? And the reason I'm asking this is because with what happened with Bitcoin recently, where it was basically spikes all the way up to 60 plus 60K and then crashes down to 30K and people are panicking. And now it's kind of trending back up ever slightly. And I suspect it's going to plateau here soon. Do you agree or disagree? Because if it's true that we've pegged to fiat and that's kind of been our downfall, how do we solve that is
1: the question I would ask. If you disagree, what... Tell me why. I guess I wholeheartedly agree, and I think it's an amazing, astute uh, finding of yours. Because it, and and it's something it's something that led me to create Voltoro, which was our first startup uh, that my brother and I started back in two thousand fifteen um, uh, in the crypt, in the crypto space directly with Bitcoin, and that was a Bitcoin gold exchange where you traded Bitcoin for physical allocated bullion sitting in a high security voting facility in Zurich, Switzerland, fully insured and fully audited. And you could trade back to Bitcoin whenever you want it. So, and you started to price things in gold mm-hmm. and because I, I was like, why we all got into crypto to get away from fiat yet we're pricing everything in fiat. <laughs> even worse, we're not countries that don't even have the U S dollar are pricing <laughs> Bitcoin in U S dollars. So now, the U.S. dollar is getting this network effect of value as a peg, um, to to as a counterpeg to the value of this amazing asset, and and USD, like you stated, is is this you know, and and I'm not picking on the Americans here, right? There's, it could be any fiat, right? But right. The, the fact of the matter is, this fiat is just fluff. It's just printed out of thin air. They can print as much as they want. We don't know so. So tying the value or the understanding of value to that is is kind of uh, it, it defeats the purpose. So I I really wanted to have a way where people could start to say, oh, one Bitcoin today is worth uh, uh, you know point 0.1 ounce of a gold. Right. Um, and and but it, you know the, the of course the network effect the, the the volume we didn't get the volume needed for that and um, and it's something that uh, you know the U the U S Government and the Fed have worked very, very hard to make the US dollar kind of a pseudo global currency uh, using the petrodollar uh, peg and back- backing all petroleum deals by the dollar. And some would arguably say a lot of the wars that were waged are to protect that homogeny, to protect that. Um, you know, Gaddafi was really keen to price oil deals in gold um saddam hussein also wanted to and and so you could state that that was that and weapons of mass destruction and all these sort of lies that were told in between were kind of just there to you know actually protect the deals made in dollar. and now when you get into cryptocurrency you start to understand wow you know every time someone big starts to accept bitcoin everyone in the space celebrates like yeah Elon Musk is now accepting Bitcoin or, oh, now he's not accepting. And you start to understand the same psychology of what the US government or the Fed might be thinking of, like, yeah, all the deals are being done in the USD. It's the same sort of mentality. And so um, uh, it, I, I think, yeah, I, I'm kind of going off the rails here. <laughs> I'm sorry. But but really, the, the idea of um, pricing everything in a fiat currency is 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 really not uh, the best way to go because eventually, you know, the average Fiat currency lasts around 27 years before it crumbles uh, into a hyperinflationary um, doom spiral. And funnily enough, for the first time ever, we're now seeing a global version of that where every Fiat is heading in that direction because everyone's trying to outprint print each other to, to kind of keep the value amongst all the effects um, markets. And and so, you know, if anyone's... You're describing a race has. condition.
0: That's what you're describing there. It's a race to the top. And who can surpass who? And then ultimately, ones are going to get left behind just because of the nature of who can print faster, number one, but also size of the economy, size of trade, size of deals, right, that are done between countries. And certain countries have that ability to pull weight and certain ones don't. and And so then it's all underlying... And then if it's pegged to cryptocurrency, then cryptocurrency falls into that same wasteland of being affected by that turmoil where it ideally in the vision, from what I read, should have been an independent standalone cryptocurrency that is traded, has its own value that's based on not just scarcity, but also what that person's perception of the value of it is. Does this person believe this cryptocurrency has an intrinsic value based on whatever metrics, whatever tokenomics, whatever it is that it tries to bring to the table? And yeah. it Bitcoin seems like it at some point was taken over by large money players, hedge funds, banks, companies, and not independently traded. Let me ask this though, because I'm, I'm, please don't feel like you're going off the rails. Cause this is good information that I don't think is widespread talked about from my perception, yeah. Yeah. but let me ask you this with What we see recently with the disruption price movement, you talked about Elon Musk and he's in it, he's not. Ted Cruz just bought the dip on Bitcoin. The Fed, SEC is trying to lock stuff down. The White House executive order. Do you believe that more regulation is necessary? And if you do, which is okay, but if you do, do you think that'll make it worse as far as the fiat equivalency?
1: The problem with regulation is that mostly it's written by... The big players that are uh, that have got foothold into the, the game that they're regulating. So, what I'm frightened of with too much regulation is that Coinbase and uh, and and the large players will mon- monopolise themselves and build barriers of entry to stop competition uh, competing with them, uh, rather than having because regulations. If you look at DeFi if you look at the, int- the, the actual crypto space, once you're in that field, there's nothing really regulation can touch because it's it's just smart contracts running. What they can do is say um, that establishments like Coinbase, can't, these on and off ramps, they they can't do this or that, or they have to have certain rule sets that they abide by and any money laundering, and KYC, and, and all of this stuff. But once people are in, they're kind of in. And, this is what the whole stablecoin side of stuff is disrupting because there's no need to then get out. Once you're in, you can jump into a uh, into a coin that represents the local fiat that you're used to denominating life in, and you, you, there's no real need to, you know, go back out if you can find someone that accepts your virtual your your. Your crypto versions of the local fiat for to pay for rent or food or maybe you've got a debit card that you can so it's it's these sorts of on and off ramps that will be regulated and i you know whether i like it or not doesn't really matter generally this the 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 way that normal business works is they try to quickly capture that regulatory environment to favor themselves and we see like even Michael Saylor and some of these large uh, whales uh, really enjoy regulations because l- larger institutions can then come in and, and start to play in this sandpit. Um, and without, without that, um, you can't really. But I've noticed it all around the world that the regulators, A, they cannot deal with the amount of data that's coming in anyway. So it's very, very hard uh, these, these bank, there's so many banks that are so over-regulated, yet they're, they're busted all the time doing large amounts of money laundering, you know, $400 billion of money laundering in the last few years. It's insane. So there's no real amount of regulation that stops that, but it's what people expect. It's what people want. Um, it's what even institutions want. So it's going to happen in those on and off ramps. You refer to transactions, so
0: being able to pay your rent in basically a virtual crypto equivalent, The I think the struggle from my perspective, I'd like to get your perspective, is it all comes back to a fiat equivalency because these people yeah. know that they have to pay salaries and the salaries cost X. And we see in the news, well, this New York mayor, he got paid in crypto, he really didn't. He got paid in fiat and then the exchange turned it into crypto, which isn't the same thing. Mm-hmm. Do you have or especially in your current businesses, which we'll get to in a second, do you have a solution to that problem of how to decouple from the fiat equivalency for the purposes of transactions?
1: Yeah, I think it it takes time really. Um, it takes time because the local economy in that f- pure fiat base needs to collapse before, before people switch and before everybody, the normal moms and dads switch because you know that a carton of milk costs a dollar twenty or whatever it is, and suddenly it's point oh 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 one. And did I see four o's or five? Uh, like, and all of this sort of thing is is a little bit tricky. This denomination switch. We saw it. Um, uh, I'm working out of Berlin, Germany, and we saw it when the the Deutschmark switched over to the Euro. The um, the conversion rate was sixty. Uh, it was sixty percent. Of the, uh, of the Deutschmark. So people were like, I'll just, just half of it uh, or just double it and um, and and that's fine. And so already, because it was 60%, people went, the calculation's too hard, let's just make it 50%. Um, and so you already lost some value there <laughs> um, purely because it's too hard for people to switch uh, in their mind. Um, but people are extraordinarily you know, I'm I'm always fascinated by places like Venezuela, who deal with an inflation rate in the thousands and seem to deal with it. Of course, they don't deal with it. <laughs> they they switch currency to like the U.S. dollar in in on the street, but they're still. By the time you leave the bank and go to the store, it the banana is worth a different price, and somehow humans can can make that work not very well, but they can somehow handle it. So I'm not totally um, sold on the fact that people won't make that switch to purely be in 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 Bitcoin, but that takes a time. Uh, uh, at the end of the day, there's always something that needs people need to understand the value of, and it just takes time. It just it can't happen overnight. It takes time. People need to understand how many Satoshis are. Plus, when Bitcoin's going up and down in value so much, uh, and this is why I'm kind of interested in the whole stablecoin, the decentralized stablecoin side of things in the crypto space now. Is that it's very, very hard for people. They need that peg, and I, I would rather that it was gold or something that was also decentralized in its issuance, because gold's found all over the world by independent co- companies, and it's not issued or printed. Um, so I'd, I'd rather it be priced in gold. But yeah, it's. It's going to, you know, if I, I try to stay realistic and what the market wants, and not what I want. <laughs> and what the market wants is to say, well, I know how much, uh, you know, if I'm in Israel, I know how many shekel this thing costs. If I'm in the U.S., I know how many dollars. If I'm in Australia, the Aussie dollar. If I'm in Europe, I know how many euros a, a, a bottle of whiskey costs, or a carton of milk, or whatever it is. And, um, and 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 it'll stay like that. And there's no point trying to fight it. And I have seen wallets say really hardcore bitcoin wallets going we're removing all like references to fiat and you know so people can't put in like 10 they have to actually put in the amount of sats and everyone just switches wallet because like this is too hard someone's asking for 10 bucks worth of bitcoin uh, I, I don't know yeah there's a project by tether called tether gold that i
0: stumbled across are you familiar with it one and if so it seems to be very closer to the vision and I'd like your thoughts on whether you think it's the right answer, whether it'll be successful. And if you haven't heard of it, I looked at it. It seems to be very close to what you're describing. And it was a very intriguing concept, but it seems like nobody's going to it. And I want to get your thoughts on to why that might be.
1: Yeah, um, I, I do like it. Uh, I, I like the idea. But there's a, there's a problem. You know, Bitcoin, crypto in general is a push technology. I have to push it into, to you. Um, a company can't just pull some crypto from me. Um, and the problem with physical goods, there's an idea of demurrage. Demurrage is the cost of holding value, cost of holding money. So uh, we we hold physical Boolean involving facilities in Switzerland um, uh, for people, that, but it's in their name as their physical property. The thing is that there's storage fees attached to that, and the storage fees cover... The men with guns outside the door, the big metal doors, the high security, the the auditing. Uh, so the auditor comes and counts everything. The insurance. So if uh, you know the Ocean's Eleven team manages to get past everything, that it's insured. <laughs> but um, it, all these all these costs are there. So what happens if I say, hey, I have an ERC20 token, uh, which is um, you know a crypto. Uh, token and I, I tether it to one gram of gold or one ounce of gold. Now what happens if I have these, uh, I've traded with a whole bunch of people, somehow I've gotten a whole bunch of this gold rep tethered tokens. And let's say I pass away, or I lose my keys or something like that happens. All of a sudden, I I can't pay any of the fees. Like Let's say the fees are paid by a smart contract that every time I send, it sends 2% of the value to the vaulting facility for those costs, the storage costs. If I lose my keys, that never gets paid again. And forever, the vaulting facility is paying for that cost. So it turns into a kind of a, a Ponzi, a, a, a light Ponzi scheme where all you, the, the, the uh, Tether Gold needs to get always more and more clients on board to pay for anybody that's died or lost their keys. And so, so like a pyramid,
0: the, you're basically describing kind of like a pyramid because everybody who comes in that new is gonna be paying essentially for everybody who came before. And the scenario you're talking about isn't even specific to them, really. It's just crypto and the way that wallets work, by default, you're needing to send. It's not designed yeah. for the, the two-way transactions that can happen natural to fiat. So you're describing ultimately somebody's gonna get paid to feed the family in whatever form, the security people, the physical property has to be paid because that needs to go to the government and everything, that's, I didn't think about that. And I appreciate that you brought that to attention. So let me take it this way. If, because what you're describing doesn't just affect even Tether Gold, it affects anything where some of these companies decide to create a cryptocurrency and they do decide to peg it in a very unique way. Ultimately there's still people have to be paid and yeah. you still have the property, and you still have regu- regulatory fees and everything else. So there's always a need for the two-way transactions that I don't think we've solved that in cryptocurrency. And do you have you, I guess, come across a solution or a cleaner answer to that problem?
1: Yeah, and this is what we're building with the standard. And it comes from the idea of the gold standard. But it's not just gold, it's, it's also cryptocurrency. So how, how do you tokenize gold without that problem? and what what we are doing is allowing people that are have uh, accounts at different gold custodians so uh, we uh, use brinks in um, in in zurich and we have lots of customers that hold uh, a lot of value in bullion that's just sitting there and there's vaulting facilities all around the world in fact every um, the amount of gold sitting in vaulting facilities just gathering dust is about 10 trillion dollars globally. And imagine if we could actually use that in the DeFi space in the crypto space. It would be really great. So it is a worthwhile problem to solve. So what we do is we we allow those custodians to plug into the standard protocol, which is a DeFi protocol, and they tokenize their client's gold and send it up into the smart contract. Now the client, they they have a key that they can lock that gold uh, those those uh, coins in there but they can never withdraw them they can't get them to their wallet they can't um, they can't send them to someone else all they can do is hit lock and generate a stable coin from that collateral in their local fiat currency so they they generate a loan to them so they borrow money from themselves up to like 80% percent of that value in a local fiat Meanwhile, That smart contract is programmed to pay the storage fees every month. So if I pass away or I lose my key to unlock it, it doesn't matter. The smart contract will keep paying more on time than any human. Now, the great thing is that if you borrowed money from yourself, let's say you borrow, uh, like you put a thousand dollars worth of gold into the contract and you borrow um, $800 from yourself or $500 from yourself, in, in five years time, the inflation that's happened has made it cheaper to pay back your loan. So the, the inflation is all, almost work, is working for you now because it's becoming cheaper to pay back the loan you borrowed from yourself. And we, we're doing this not only with gold, we're doing it with crypto. So you can put in Bitcoin or Ethereum into these smart vaults and um, and borrow against that value. Because why would you like, I, I you know, you saw how early I've been in Bitcoin and I'm not mega super wealthy because i i was very evangelistic I was spending the bitcoin all the time and and getting people to use it and hey you know and and uh, putting like I remember putting a depo- put, deposit on a rental de- uh, apartment to rent a uh, 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 an apartment and the deposit was equal to like 30 bitcoin or something like that back in the day so i had to sell 30 bitcoin just so i can have a deposit and and if i man if if i would be able to just hodl that or hold it, I would be amazing because I could buy like five luxury apartments now. <laughs> but imagine, uh, and, and my, I've heard Michael Saylor say similar things. I never want to sell my Bitcoin, I just want to borrow against that value. So using Bitcoin truly as a store of value, using gold as a store of value, but use it, but rather than it just sitting there, because there's nothing worse than it for, you know, this is the funny sort of myth behind very wealthy people. People get very angry at the wealth, the rich. They t- they just have all this money. It's like, no, all the very wealthy people that I know are constantly making their capital work, make, uh, investing in startups, employing people. And this is greed. Smart is the ones. <laughs> the smart ones, the smart ones. That's right. Uh, but that greed uh, uh, allows for... A risk, which, uh, which people then try to build startups, and, and some of them fail. But while it's failed, they've, they've paid all these people, um, brick layers to build the buildings that the startups are in and the, the carpet layers and the, all these people get paid. And so um, you want to have capital moving, you don't just want to have it sitting there holding, you want to be able to borrow against that. And why trust a bank uh, to borrow against it, you don't have to ask a bank. And this is these are the smart contracts that we're building now so that people can just lock it up and hold the keys for themselves. They don't have to trust a third party. They can, they have to trust the code. Um, we've seen some smart contracts being hacked and stuff. So it is important to, um, you know, there is always a, set, a little bit of trust. The whole nature of trustlessness, is, I don't believe is there. You have to trust your phone, your wallet. You have to trust that it's not going to get hacked and, and this sort of stuff. But uh, I think it's a really nice solution to that demarage problem. And now we can suddenly have a gold standard in a way because all of a sudden you can issue yourself USD that's backed more values backing it in gold and crypto than it is flying around. So we've switched fiat on its head. Yeah, we're using the denomination that everybody's used to uh, using. And because we, we we can't change that, it's so hard to change that in people. Suddenly, the value that's moving around is actually backed by real rare assets. And that's mm-hmm. that to me is so exciting.
0: This sounds very similar to what Magic Internet Money and Spell Token and Urine Finance had set up. And I covered that on a previous episode. But the way they described it was so convoluted. I basically told everybody, I wouldn't put money in this because you're not describing where this is, this collateral is coming from. What you're describing, though, it makes logical sense in the collateral that is basically a physical asset that everybody's aware of, that has a known value to people, that doesn't necessarily it it pegs to fiat, but not doesn't necessarily right because yeah. in the past we've separated gold from the printed money, it's no longer yeah. a promissory note now it's basically printed at will, and so their strategy is similar in what you describe, but the collateral, the way you get it, and how it conforms to the magic internet money, which then goes to a stable coin was so convoluted. And then we saw what happened with their, with wonderland and everything else. So I like what you're describing and it sounds very similar to what most people have tried to do. Like most of the cryptos have tried to create these somewhat hackneyed solutions around putting crypto truly as a store of value and then borrow against it. And everybody's kind of hacked it, but never to the degree of specificity that you're describing. So I like that. That's awesome. Let me take you forward a little bit in time. Hmm. So you have this vision, you take the vision, you parlay it into, and I know you started multiple businesses and you've been in pretty much technology, but also cryptocurrency for a very long time, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently from the journey? Every part of the journey, what would you have done differently? Is there anything that we can learn Today, from your knowledge, having been at that time and going to now, not just as a new crypto trader, but maybe somebody who's even advanced in doing it, but what are some yeah. lessons learned that you can share?
1: Whatever I say here is definitely not financial advice at all. It um, you know, right. just to put that out there, of course. But I, I, I wouldn't have put my money into random coins that don't make any sense. Um, I wouldn't have. FOMO'd in because I see the chart and some, some person on YouTube's gone, wow, this is amazing, and, um, and, and bought that purely because of I would have thought, oh, it's going to go up further. I, I wouldn't have bought into the, oh, this is the next Ethereum or this is the next Bitcoin. Mm. We saw in 2017 so many Ethereum killers, yet Ethereum is still here. Yeah, it's expensive. It's horribly expensive. And it's going to die if they don't fix it. they are actively working on it and you know new york is super expensive to live in yeah but it's not because for no reason it's because there's a lot of people that want to live there and there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of businesses and a lot of things happening um you know arguably depending on (laughs) your beliefs but but it's the same in berlin people want that it's expensive because a lot of people live here Ethereum is expensive because a lot of people want to currently use it. And um, and there are solutions, but something like Binance Smart Chain has sacrificed um, decentralization for speed and, and cost. And, and the thing is, that doesn't matter for a lot of people until it does. Um, one day, you know, the thing with, for instance, PayPal, PayPal has to have all these extra costs because they... Have the ability to reverse transactions, and when you have the ability to reverse transactions, you're obliged to do so. Mm-hmm. And if you're obliged to do so, you have to play—you um, uh, have to play lawyer, judge, and executioner all at once. So you have—if there's some, you know, oh, I paid this person and he didn't fix my bathtub or <laughs> whatever you paid them for, And then you have to say, oh, did, did you fix the bathtub? Can you show me proof that you actually did or didn't? And all these extra costs get added until they can make a decision to reverse the chain or, or a state then comes in and shuts them down because they haven't reversed it for a, maybe a large hack happens or something like that. So uh, you know decentralization whilst while looking like it's not important to a lot of people is important and the whole point is important. Otherwise we can might as well just run everything on the Amazon cloud uh, yes. infrastructure, which will be super fast and super cheap. Um, but the whole point is that uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And so you want to uh, you wanna stick to uh, decentralization. And, and so lo- when you're looking at projects, look at fundamental problems that are being solved. Are they really being solved? How many developers do they have? Uh, is the hype we're seeing just marketing? Have a look at their GitHub and have a look at some of the code that they're writing. Is the code you know, actually developing. And you don't need to know how to code, but maybe you can look up on YouTube, how do you look at GitHub? How do you analyze GitHub to see if it's actually, if the project's moving? And there's there's some um, good good videos out there um, on, on that. So uh, that that's one thing I would do is not just jump my money into the next big thing, especially if some big YouTubers mentioning some project, I can almost guarantee you it's already very late in the game because right and uh, they've already bought their bags and as soon as they mention it it's going up and you you've missed the boat and then right. and then someone's going to sell on you so don't fall into those traps try to find you know if you just get into this game i would say cross average every week put a little bit of money in to the main ones like bitcoin ethereum don't uh, don't don't veer off the beaten track too much until you really understand the space, until you understand what problems are being solved, what problems are real, what problems are being solved. And then by by buying every week on a Monday, when that paycheck 50 bucks or whatever you can afford, uh, you put a little bit in whatever you can afford to lose uh, for a certain time, you put a little bit in and then if it goes up, yay, buy again. If it goes down, yay, buy it down and you cross average Buying, uh, so your average buying price um, becomes, you know, the the buying price. And Perfect. so, yeah, that's what I would recommend. Perfect. And then my last question, because we're almost at
0: time, and I want to be mindful of the time tracker. But my very last question, and this is near and dear to my heart, I've yeah. always been an advocate, and it's harder now, I think, that you have to trust the developer developers. You have to trust them behind a project first yeah. and foremost. And if they're not If they're disingenuous or they're not being transparent, I think that's a a high red flag. What, What tips or feedback can you share? Because it's hard to know that, right? You have to kind of get in to see if it behaves. But I'm looking at things like the taxes that they charge against cryptocurrency. I'm looking at things like they tell you X, this is going to be due or done by this date. And then they don't perform. I'm looking at, they say we're going to reforest South Canada or something. And then it's like, okay, that's too lofty. What tips can you share as far as that trust, developer trust and how to find those?
1: Yeah, um, I think it comes with time. I think it comes with time and as you look at projects and you just sort of take in what people are doing to, to really understand it. And unfortunately, you know, the society is obsessed with de-risking. Governments de-risk the lives of everybody yeah. to the point where no one knows what a scam looks like anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the only thing that, the commoner is allowed to uh, invest in is like horse racing or the slot machines in in (laughs) Vegas, which is a terrible investment uh, in in reality. And so unfortunately, most people will have to have to feel what it what it feels like to touch a candle, what it feels like to get burnt. Ah, you know, and and you go, ah, that's, that's what a scam looks like. And so unfortunately, the learning curve of crypto is to you, ha- you you get scammed along the way yeah. you lose some money and then you go ah oh, okay so don't you know now i know what to look out for so my advice is don't jump into weird stuff with, with don't go all in on some crazy thing because you don't know yet if you're new to this what certain scams look like right. so if you you know and um and that's that's i think the best thing is to always play with small amounts first see, oh yeah, that's that's working, That I understand that. But um, also, like I said, really try to understand the problems that are being solved. And does it need a token? Does it need decentralization? The reason why Satoshi Nakamoto invented Bitcoin was because governments don't like competition when it comes to money. They, in the past, have shut down anybody that tried to create a private currency. It would be shut down. Um, and, and and so Satoshi said, oh, we need a decentralized money that cannot be shut down. But certain things like, I don't know, um, you might have something, some project that does something and you have to think, does, is this something that the government would shut down or could they just do a centralized version on the Amazon cloud? It would be really cheap and fast and would work really well. Does it need its own token or if they like, try to jam some weird token in there because they could then raise money using that mechanism. And right. um, and then you need to start thinking legally, is, is the SEC going to consider this a, a some sort of an investment uh, in terms of a security? If so, then maybe if I'm in the US, I, I shouldn't uh, dabble in this. Um, and the Patriot Act
0: comes into play and all sorts of other layers, yeah.
1: Oh, it's it's. I mean, I I do not envy um, my friends in in the U.S. Because it, <laughs> as much as uh, you know, they've gone around the world uh, fighting for freedom. Poor, oh, they've they've put a lot of layers of non-freedom in between uh, normal people, their their own hard-earned money and um, investment opportunities, in which there, it is a very minefield uh, uh, field. Uh, yeah. of, uh, you know, people can lose their money, but. Uh, it's it's about education and learning rather than force rather than force de-risking and and um, it's I think this is what crypto does is it teaches people again what risk looks like what what to look out for and uh, not to just to fall for any any old scam.
0: Yeah, wholly hardly agree. Josh, listen, thank you. Um, I know it was a bit challenging getting getting coordinated. We got it done, and I appreciate the information you've given. This is awesome. I've learned. And I would love to have you back on the show at some point in the future because I want to dig a little bit deeper into the standard for sure. But that would be an episode yeah. in of itself, I'm pretty sure. So yeah. if you're willing, we can coordinate through Oscar Hamilton, get that done, because I would definitely love to have you back on the show if you're open.
1: But Please, I it would you. be my pleasure. I've
0: thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to thank you for for coming on the show. I will This episode will probably go up today. I'm going to actively work to get that done. And I will preface, like I said, with the information so they know how to find you. So you have LinkedIn as well as Twitter, and direct them to thestandard.io so they can learn more because I think it's a very intriguing thing that's gotten built.
1: And thank you. Thank you so much. It's a, it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Take care. Cheers. Thanks.
0: Once again, that was Mr. Joshua Segala. He is site currently to find him is thestandard.io, and you can also find him on LinkedIn. He's at Joshua Segala. All run together or on Twitter at Jay Sagala, listen, everything he was talking about, not just the Bitcoin side, I think that's, that's a symptom of where we're at and where his journey, I believe, took him, which is trying to focus back into a larger vision around cryptocurrency, which was we, we see, and it seems like we agree, that pegging to fiat caused a lot of the problems that we're now suffering under. And trying to figure out ways to get away from that. But it's the current reality. And I've said on shows, transaction normally is fiat. Store of value is normally cryptocurrency from where I sit. When we transact cryptocurrency, there's still an equivalence back to fiat. And so the what they've built in pegging it to gold, creating it, tokenizing it, but not worrying about the fiat side, but also the compelling argument I hadn't even thought of. The idea... and This is not just the value, but also any crypto, any crypto you trade today has any thought been put into death planning, right? If you have people that are trading cryptocurrency and they're sitting in wallets right now, and maybe you don't know that they're in wallets or maybe you do. The planning around you know, estate and whether somebody passes away and who's paying to maintain whatever people have. If you were to have certain ones like Tether Gold, Are they able to sustain what it takes in order to handle the outside of it? Right. People have to be paid salaries because people have to eat and then there's properties and everything else. These are things that even I hadn't thought of, but they do beg the question when some of these, uh, like you think of the whole Facebook DM, which I never talked about because I thought it was dead on arrival. But as we see more cryptos come up that are coming from businesses who are basically robbing Peter to pay Paul at this point. But as they spin up, are they putting thought into, okay, what does this mean for the recurrent payment that has to happen? Because we're not in a world and we don't, it seems like we agree that we don't foresee this changing in the near future to get away from fiat for the, the bare essentials. Paying your utility bill, paying your mortgage or your rent, paying for your car note, uh, medical, dental, et cetera. We don't foresee, I certainly don't foresee, and it sounds like he doesn't foresee in the short term, any change in behavior to where cryptocurrency is the currency. But then the borrowing against your own, basically lending to yourself. Well, there's many that try to do it, but they don't do it with the same specificity he's describing, where it's pegged back to rare metals and rare assets, as opposed to just print money, print money, print money. And then of course you get, this is my opinion, you get locked into the banking system, and by locking to the banking system, you're forced to go through the credit system and the credit system is designed to discriminate against you. So part of the vision, I, it sound like was to get away from a lot of this and cryptocurrency could be the solution still, but we're a long way away from that kind of nirvana state of cryptocurrency and allowing the, the person to pretty much be their own bank without the fiat involved. It is cryptocurrency itself is what we use to truly, truly transact uh, and at the end of the day, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. You as an investor are free to only go against cryptocurrency and that's your go-to. Let's say you, you make enough money on your data job that you don't really care about the fiat equivalency and you're just trading cryptocurrency. That's absolutely something you can choose to do if it makes sense for you. But I think most people that are in cryptocurrency that are actively in it, I should say, they're doing it because of the fiat equivalency, the value of a thing. And when I say everybody, I'm referring to the banks, the companies, the hedges, you know, high levels that are causing the price disruptions we see. But he also talked about, you know, trading strategies and kind of the lessons learned of more review, more research, not just leaping into, not just FOMOing into things. What I've said, don't just FOMO into something. And I've had to adjust my investment strategy myself. My investment strategy is slightly different. It is mostly the same, but it's slightly different in the sense that I now take a stance that, as long as I've got the, the devs are delivering what they said they were going to deliver so I can trust them, then I'm more inclined to invest in it if it seems like it's something that makes sense for me. I'm looking for the trust more so than the the nuts and bolts black letter. I do still want certain fundamentals. I want a white paper, right? I do analyze code, I do look for, you know, liquidity things. But I'm no I'm not as fixated on so much of that as long as I can trust the development team. There are good projects out there and there are bad projects. I think we conceptually can say most of these long hauls, Bitcoin and Ethereum, probably at the top of that list, they're not going anywhere and they're always good to have as part of your diverse portfolio, which I've always har- harped on, if you heard me, keep your portfolio diverse and make sure that, especially if you're new, definitely new to it, make sure you're not just jumping into FOMO projects because you feel like you see a green candle and you got to get in it. And most importantly, and I was, you know, Hercules, Hercules that he mentioned it, don't just go off shillers because he brought up from a timing perspective, by the time that they're there shilling the project, they've already bought bags in, which you wouldn't know in advance because the wallet is anonymous, right? So they probably already bought bags in, it skyrockets because a bunch of people jump in it because this shiller told them to do it, whether it's, you know, whoever that is, and then they sell for profit and they yank it and they're basically bleeding your money. So I I think somebody on Twitter was referring to it as feeding the whales. Well, that's a compelling case because let's let's take it a step further. They, many of these shillers, I'm not gonna give them by name because it's not worth it, but many of these shillers get they openly have been outed as being paid fifteen thousand sometimes dollars, ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars and just to be clear when i say a shiller i'm not just talking about the ones that say 100x 10x let's go i'm also talking about the ones that quote offer to host their ama and all that kind of stuff they're getting paid for that most often so they they're collecting this 15,000 dollars they go and they buy a bag of this token they shill it to 100x let's go it skyrockets they sell for profit so now their 15,000 turns into 150,000 right off the backs of a shill and then that token never recovers this is why you see many of these graphs with that initial spike up and then it goes down and it takes it years to recover that's why i'm saying folks please don't just go after the shillers if you're a token developer please don't just jump to shillers please don't do that because it's not healthy that's why i don't like it either it's not good for the investors and for the investors out there Again, to me I think the real deal is you have to make up your own mind about what's priority to you. Is it a project you're passionate about? Maybe there's something that they are actively trying to doing that you care a lot about. I think I still say regardless of the project, you should always be able to trust the developers to some degree and figure out how you can how they can earn your trust. And I do think that every token should treat you like an investor and and you are their boss. I believe that in my heart myself. So I was really grateful to have Mr. Zagala on the show. Um, It was an exciting episode for me. We don't script. We don't plan. We don't practice. It's just that I do enough research in order to know how to guide the conversation, to ask the right questions so I can learn and then just bounce off my guest. And I continue that cadence. So I think it flowed very well. And hopefully I can get him back on the show because I want to dig more into the standard.io. Feel free to check that out. I do encourage that you do. And check him out on LinkedIn or Twitter as well. But that's all I got for you today. Again, I will be back on underdog tokens starting tomorrow. So I'm going to do another coverage on an underdog token that came to came to my awareness. Dig a little bit deeper into it. Well, you can find us again at CryptotalkRadio.net. Please do share that out for anybody else has interest in episodes and shows like the way that we do it and you know that they would get value out of doing it we appreciate the share that's how we can grow together and we do snippets on youtube this episode will not have snippets on youtube because i want you to come to the podcast i want you to get the real meat and potatoes not just the side of cheesecake take care